so good damn it's good that song could probably heal the world and make it a better place for you and for me so uh welcome to the bitcoin podcast everybody welcome back this is episode number 300 and waiting for that private comment (laughs) no i think it's 60 361 no i think it's just 360 361 baby episode 361 (laughs) of the bitcoin podcast coming at you i'm the host that talks first d i am the host that talks second dr Corey petty and i'm the third host jesse broke jesse the man broke oh that's him everyone this is getting the third host the, right uh, there. Oh, D's That's getting it. creative with the with the production here. That's it. Oh, my Lisha bad. No, he just says no. My bad. My Let me back up out of there. Let me back up out of there. All right. So, uh, today's show, we you know we got a sponsor, man. It's We're been back. a while. We're back oh, in you can't business. See it. You can't see it. Twenty percent off promo. Hold on. Maybe if I throw me the back way. there. There we go. Here, there, there we go. Just go. go back to it. Go back to me with the white space, the white there void. There we go. There oh we go. So <laughs> today's show is brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped.com. If you don't know what that means, then let me tell you something. What you're in for is a suite of male grooming products like the Manscaped Lawmower 4.0. Uh, so here's the deal. Like, um, Manscaped.com. Should I unbox it? Should I do an impromptu unboxing? Yeah, like we're gonna you don't have a good camera setup go. for that. I don't. Think I don't. But I can. I can just do it here. I think yeah, it's just... clear. Jesse does. Jesse's got like he can just like click a button and he's ready to unbox. Do you have an unboxing really? setup, Jesse? Uh, I do, uh, but not not connected. I don't have this. My camera right, isn't we'll running do, through. We'll, do, we'll do the Manscaped yeah, unboxing we'll on a different day. Yeah. Yeah, but let me. T- uh, so here's the thing. Uh, this thing is designed for shaving, shaving balls. Like that's even the logo. The logo is so funny because it's got like, it's got balls with the wings. Says, let's, let's yeah, designed for groin grooming. Let's blow D up on that. Yeah, bring me in there. Here, pull me over there. Put me in the middle. There we go. It's got lo- the logos, testicles wrapped in wings angel wings you think they decided that that was the right choice is like our logo should be testicles 
I don't think it. Maybe it's not testicles. Maybe it's just circles. Come on, but upside down, upside down heart. (laughs) Upside down. It's an upside down heart. Come on. Um, but this is the lawnmower 4.0. It's skin safe. It's rechargeable. Has wireless charging. It has a spotlight, right? So that's the thing that I didn't think I needed until I did. It has a spotlight. Do you need that? Well, how do you shave your area, Corey? We've discussed this. I sit. I sit on the toilet so that hair goes directly into the toilet. How do you get your arm into the toilet hole to shave your balls? I'm not like inside the toilet. I'm like above the toilet. It falls directly down. You just hover. You hover. Yeah, you hover. And you, you, you adjust as needed, but the hair goes directly into the toilet. So the Manscaped is also waterproof, so you can so you can turn dry or in the shower, right? Just like you know a normal it's, human does. There you go. That's even better because mine yeah. is not waterproof, so I can drop this thing in the toilet and we're good to go. Yep. Yeah. Only for thirty Uh-oh. minutes. Thirty minutes too. So for those of you guys with ginormous balls, you can do the whole trim. Hey, let's be in one let's city. be like sexually equal here. Women got a woman got a womanscape. Well, how do you know we're not shitting on their future brands, Corey? They might have a woe manscaped. You know it's what I'm pink. saying? Which is... Got a few more, like, curves. Ooh. Yeah. Why does it have to be pink, Corey? Oh, my it's gosh. Like, universal <laughs> color how for, dare for you? Women. How dare you? No, actually, that's that's a thing. They're, they're pushing back, and they don't want pink. Whatever. Who cares? They want, they want color matter, whatever you want, women. Something Here's the still, thing. Like, Look, audience, some women want to shave. Before we get into the show... And talk about crypto audience. I need to show you that, tell you that shaving your dudes or ladies, shaving your junk over the toilet is not a good idea. It's a wonderful idea, and I guarantee you're going to be converted if you do it. (laughs) I think it's like putting milk in before the cereal, it could work, you know, or like pineapple on the pizza. (laughs) That's such a good analogy. It works. I'm talking about efficiency. This is about efficiency and cleanup. I'm not trying to like sweep man hair off the floor. No, but I'm talking about being done, flush, walk away. Yeah, like put your yeah, milk in the done. bowl, never have to get milk again, and just reload on okay. cereal. There's a reason why there's an LED spotlight, and that's to get the little tiny hairs that you don't see. Where do you think those tiny hairs are going, Corey? You got pube dust all over your all over your bathroom right now. No, I don't. How do you know? It's, it's clean because I because I clean it. There's hair. You know why? Because I sit over the toilet when I manscape. That's why I don't have okay. – because it, it's not going anywhere but to the toilet. How often do you brush your trimmers? I brush my trimmers every time? Yeah. You don't think that those little microscopic hair dusts go everywhere in your bathroom? Yeah, that's when you clean your bathroom. Yeah, but like – you're They're your microscopic. They're tiny. They're tiny. Dumb. I, mean, I guarantee you got pee dust in your bathroom. bathroom. No, because I clean it. I guarantee you got keep dust all over your bathroom because you're just like willy-nilly everywhere. No, I do it in the shower like a normal human. <laughs> it sounds like a terrible idea. No, it just washes down the drain and you're fine. You know, you know how well I can see with water hitting my face? Super good. <laughs> no, you just like you just like turn the shower down, right? And you look down and then you get a Some people don't have big showers. Giant man shower. Some people, some people got space to like get in there and you know, like also some most showers don't have good lighting. 
Why are you shaving like this? I don't, you don't do that? Let me get in there. Let me get in there for this. Let's get to the show. By the way, go to manscaped.com. Click that thing. Use that code. Get 20% off. Yes. Use TBP and Smooth. Get 20% off. Uh, please do. Is we that love the right it. website? Manscaped.com. Yes. All right. Good. At checkout. So they're a thing. Promo code TBP and Smooth. Now, let's get into uh, this show. Uh, I mean, cryptos, I, I think we're about to come out of that trough of disillusionment. You know what I'm saying? We had a 50% plus price drop on some stuff. Projects are starting to release stuff again. We had the huge news, the guests we have on today, with uh, Fox doing the airdrop. Everyone who's ever used Shapeshift for any of the things got a bunch of Fox. We had several people in the Slack that were like, hey, I got Fox. You I know? was almost 100% certain that the addresses that I used in Shapeshift, which were so long ago, were not getting an airdrop. All of them did. I have, I have so much Fox. <laughs> okay. I don't know if I got any Fox. I know one of my wallets I put you, it in you there. You do Shapeshift. You have Fox. Unless you just threw away those keys. Which I didn't throw away those keys. So I have a couple wallets that I can use. But I, did, I stopped using Shapeshift. Doesn't matter. I used a while ago. and I got all those. I got all that Fox. Really? I was very skeptical. And then I looked at like some of those really, really old wallets that I had. And I know that you were doing the same thing because we talked about it a lot. Like they all had it. One of those wallets is gone, gone. I know that for a fact. It was back when there was ethereumwallet.com. I don't know if you remember that one, but yeah, your private key was the URL. It. That was a pretty good one, I thought, but I guess that was not a good one at all. Shook out, and then they actually turned into was it Jax? No, they turned into my Ether Wallet. Ethereum, I'm pretty sure my Ether, like EthereumWallet.com, turned into my Ether Wallet uh, uh, as as a, as a platform, and then that split off into my Ether Wallet and and my crypto. Okay, well, that was a huge airdrop. A lot of people got some. Um, I don't know. It kind of feels like crypto is kind of cooling down, which is good. It allows people like yourself, Corey, to get to work without all the distraction of price this, price that. Do I get a boat? Do I not get a boat? Where are hookers legal? Where are they not? My like like third connection friends hitting me up, telling me they should listen to me and if they should buy Doge. Mm-hmm. That's not. And then what did you say? No. My answer was no. <laughs> okay. They would have probably made money, but my answer is still no. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so some of the talking points we have for this show, of course, are um, well, we, we kind of talked about it on the last show, but I do feel as if the hash rate coming back is a beautiful example of the gamification of Bitcoin working exactly as it's supposed to work. So, um, yeah, there's that. Um, I also feel, um, so there's something going on here and Corey, I, I kind of need to just ask a new question here. What the hell exactly is optimism and why does that keep popping up in things that I read about? Really? You don't know what optimism is? I don't. I know what optimism right. is. Um, As you can see, I'm quite a jovial fellow, you know, <laughs> I keep the mood up. You know, but uh, as far uh, as so technology is concerned, as, a, 
as it pertains to currency in Ethereum, optimism is a layer two solution uh, that is a an attempt to scale transactions via a like a, a process called optimistic rollups for Ethereum. What does that mean? It means that there's a separate network that is very close to what Ethereum feels like and looks like that allows you to do Ethereum-like things that works way faster and way, way, way cheaper. And what they do is they basically allow you to do like basically have an Ethereum-like experience. And the consensus of that thing basically takes all those transactions, rolls them up into a big block of transactions, and then embeds them into the Ethereum blockchain. So instead of like you doing Ethereum transactions on Ethereum, you do them on this layer two, like a network that sits on top of it that allows you to do things faster and cheaper with a different security model. And if something goes wrong there, you still have the ability to dispute a transaction and execute anything you do on this layer two on the Ethereum blockchain. So it's a way to scale Ethereum for a specific type of transaction, right? So right now, they've recently released, and they allow you to do limited activity, which is basically just Uniswap. So Uniswap, a decentralized exchange that lives on Ethereum 1, has an implementation also on Ethereum 2. So you, what you can do now, if you have assets on Ethereum 1, like Layer 1, the Ethereum blockchain, you can say, I'm going to send these assets to Uniswap. Takes about 20 minutes, gets on there, and then you have assets on, you have assets on uh, Optimism. And you can do whatever you want there. You can exchange things, move them around, whatever. And that's basically like the equivalent of like your optimistic stuff. Mm -hmm. And then if so you wanted to, you just push them back to you can push them back to Ethereum if you want to. So there. Over time, they're going to open it up to further developers to add additional things, so that you can just basically have you can just like most. I think a lot of things will just live on Optimism or Layer Twos like it, and they'll never actually need to go to Layer One. Like the or like the Ethereum blockchain, they'll just all of the business over whatever that application does just lives on Optimism, which means which makes mm -hmm. it much much faster and cheaper uh, for most end users because they don't really give a shit about how it works on the back end. I see. There's a so lot of other stuff associated with how this actually works in the security model associated with it, but I think that's kind of go listen to hashing it out. We recently did an episode with Optimism about this, so if you're interested so in like, a, some technical details, go listen to that. So it's a scaling solution. Yeah, hundred percent. Does it add? It doesn't add privacy to it, so it's not like no, in the no aspect privacy. of like it just takes a bunch of accounts, a bunch of transactions, rolls them up, and then put makes it one transaction. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So it'll, it, it's like they do like a, basically a compression algorithm of all the transactions over a given period of time, make that into like a chunk of data, and then they embed that into the Ethereum blockchain. Uh, so that like basically the price of embedding that into Ethereum blockchain is shared across all the transactions that ever did it. So it's much, much cheaper and faster. And then you have the security, the security of the Ethereum blockchain backing up all the transactions that happened in that time frame. And they're mm -hmm. available to anyone who'd like to see them so that if someone who's watching says like, that's not a transaction I, I submitted, they're able to submit a dispute and that can then be executed on the main chain. So like the main point of this, this is like the evolution of like plasma chains which is a thing plasma 
um, that allowed people to kind of just do a lot more activity, aggregate all that activity, chunk it up, compress it, and then embed it into a lower layer with a higher security. Mm. And it's been worked on for quite a while and it's been released and I expect it to do a lot of things. Mm. Okay. That, that was a good, very succinct explanation and I understand it now. How many transactions fit can fit into, if we were to be optimistic, how many transactions fit into uh, an optimism transaction? I forget uh, what it currently is. Um, so there's a few things here, right? So like right now on Ethereum 1, the proof of work Ethereum chain, it does, I think a 10 to 100x amount of transactions mm, that Ethereum I like do. that. That's orders. Um, and well, this is based on their claims. I haven't tested it or seen it. Uh, and then once the Ethereum 2 phase, like the 1.5 or so, whenever the, the, the data layer associated with the shards of Ethereum 2 are available. So like as Ethereum 2 keeps moving and migration happens, there's going to be shards that have data availability, but no execution. You can't do, you can't do uh, transactions on them, but there is, you can store data on them. Mm -hmm. And what's going to happen is that the optimism will actually use all the data shards of Ethereum 2 to then massively increase its scale, which then moves to like, so then optimism will be able to do purportedly like a hundred X or like, I was like, uh, a thousand to 10,000 X transactions or something like that. Like a lot more, you can look it up on the website that says it right there. But, uh, as those, as that larger data layer is available to you, because right now what they're doing is they're packaging all these transactions and they're putting them directly on the proof of work, Ethereum one chain. When the data layer available of Ethereum two is available, they're able to package them up and then disperse them across all the different data shards of Ethereum two, which then allows them to do so many more transactions depending upon how you can break that stuff up, which is a much more complicated problem. And we'll see if it works. Remains to be seen. But mm. as it stands today, optimism works up to a given level of scale. Is it like raid mirroring, like the shard dynamic of speeding up? Mm. Like, is that a good way of explaining it? Uh, maybe. You first need to explain raid mirroring. Yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's another technical problem. Like, of like basically, yeah. like we've aggregated things and the security model is different. Mm -hmm. It's not as secure as Ethereum, but it's pretty damn close. So like, depending on what you're doing, like, who cares? Find a donut? Who gives a shit? You don't need the world computer to fucking verify your donut purchase. Aggregate such a good word. And that, make, that makes sense, right? For like scaling a world computer <laughs> that does transactions. You see it's, that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fucking the shit out of me. If if the base layer is is like incredibly important verification of transactions, would you rather it be verifying a donut purchase or a block of thousands of other transactions that are kind of that have been kind of processed by another by another processor? But hey, man, who are you to decide what transactions are important or not, man? Well, that's actually a conversation we had on the hashing out episode with Optimism was like. The like, so what do you consider fair? So right now there's this big thing happening in Ethereum world uh, with respect to this concept of MEV or minor extractable value, which is basically like how much value can the miners extract from the users? And that's based on like transaction ordering. So people can like sandwich transactions mm -hmm. around like a decentralized exchange transaction to then 
pump up the price, have that one go, and then sell it, right? So they can do all these weird things to extract additional value to regular transactions. And so like the concept of ordering transactions and the fairness of that becomes somewhat of a game. And these layer twos may end up becoming almost like a fairness market of how do you order transactions that get aggregated and then chunked and put into layer one. And so people may end up choosing what layer two they want to operate on based on the fairness of transaction ordering, mm. which is an interesting thing that I hadn't quite thought about beforehand. You ever, you ever feel like, like when people say we want to make things fair, you're actually making things less fair in the way that no, you don't, you don't have to pull me up. What? No, this Make is important. Smaller. We want to hear what you have to say. No, I don't, I don't want to be this big. All Make right, me smaller. Right. <laughs> yeah, no. So like whoever, whoever enters in a system, right? Like, uh, basically <laughs> I, I was having a conversation with Alicia about this is, is once, once you have like a certain amount of wealth, right. It becomes in your best interests to go beyond the rules where that wealth is controlled and and really like decentralization of wealth is like the 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 best thing it's like the 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 solution to solving your tax problems you live outside of a system where they can't tax you right we've kind of gotten into this in the in the tail end of the interview with uh eric which is if i come into a system and i have a shit ton of value and then i create a system of quote-unquote fairness where i don't allow people to um essentially get ahead of me don't i just solidify the advantages that i already come into the system with i don't quite understand the meaning he's saying if you're wealthy in one system you're gonna get even you're gonna get double advantages you're gonna you're wealthy in the incumbent financial system and because you are wealthy you basically leapfrog to the top of the benefits of all the other systems that you can easily assuming your wealth transfers. Yeah. So what I mean is like, wouldn't it be better if that problem was a feature, not a bug like MEV, like ordering of transactions, like you pay more to have your transaction order to have another transaction so that you can, you know, um, for whatever reason, just have your transaction execute ahead. Like, I think that, inequality is 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 that depends useful. on your definition of fairness that's that's fair to a lot of people for some it may yeah. not be who are you who, who are they trying to protect by by like let's say protecting the order of transactions and not giving like let's say whoever pays a higher fee first priority who are they trying to protect? uh well it depends on like so like that makes a market right for like gas prices and like if you argued against right. like there, there's a like, that's part of the blockchain sides argument or block size argument in early Bitcoin oh. was like there should be a healthy fee market that's kind of hyper capitalistic in terms of the, the 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 scarcity of this thing, and the fee market is supposed to then incentivize the miners to actually do security for the network because there's no longer inflation to incentivize them, mm-hmm. right? And then like Bitcoin Cash people are like, yeah, but we're not there yet. And it's technically not that difficult, so why don't we just expand the size of the blockchain so that fees are freely available to a lot of people, and we're not—we don't have this ridiculously high fee market that then pushes out a good portion of the people who need the technology. But I—I—I right. I, I, I say that I'm against that, right? I, so I—that's you have a different viewpoint yeah. than some people because some, some people don't have that. 
I think that people should get priced out so that they can go and build new things that allow people to potentially not get priced out so that you have like an iterative process. Right, well, where... So here's, here's, a, here's a situation that I've personally faced uh, okay. working for Status. And that is we've built a bunch of things that um, work off of relatively low cost transactions because in the old days of Ethereum, that was the case. And we have kind of, and a lot of the things that we'd like to do around um, fun things you can do with Web3 and chat are relative, like should be relatively low cost. Otherwise, they don't make any sense. Like maybe like, for instance, a chat reaction. Mm -hmm. that actually has value associated with it. So you say something funny to chat. Like if room, I send an emoji and then it costs me like $20 is in gas, then that no, would no, be like, like... People can tip you with a chat reaction. Mm -hmm. like I can send you 10, 10, 10 S&T with a chat reaction, like with a reaction to like some comment you make, right? Okay. That process can't be even on the order of the cost of 10 S&T. And so if the fee market that we rely upon is pumped up by projects that are completely outside the domain of the things that we care about. It makes a huge difference on our users and their ability to then participate in that ecosystem. They would probably Sounds... want to operate in something that uh, is, is, isn't dependent upon the success of other projects on whether or not they can even do the things they want to do. Now that may mean that like in a, in a situation like that, you want to move to a place that, isn't going to be encumbered by the success of others, but still has access to it if it wants to, right? And so like, those are the types of things that I'm talking about in terms of fairness is that you wanna make sure that the future success of the things that you're doing aren't going to be changed by the underlying markets that drive the incentives of whatever system you're participating in. And like you, in some cases, you're right. Like you want there to be a healthy market to vie for a given digital scarcity. That's how markets. That's how markets live. In some cases, you don't want that because you want the access to the people you're trying to give that access to to not be encumbered by wealthy people who are completely outside of their community. Yeah, like, and that's and that's what we have today and over the world is that we have so many people who are impoverished that work for tremendously, like, like in my opinion, like unfathomably low prices that can't participate in the global economy because the price of doing so is, is, is like a year's worth of salary for them to do something relatively small. So why don't we make systems that enable them to do the same types of things, grow, and then enter into a different ecosystem when they're able to do so? Right now, they don't even have that option. I feel like um, it's not because of digital limitations that something like like a product like that can't come into existence it's because of a like it's because of governmental reasons why they won't let that be adopted well i mean the fee markets of cryptocurrencies has nothing to do with governmental reasons well, what i mean and is they, that and, and they've priced out a good portion of the people they set out to then give services to i i agree is that fair? I think that is more fair than selling to them the idea that you can have a chance of equality within a system that's already the the wealth disparity is only growing. Like I would just argue build a new system for them. I mean it doesn't have to be a new system, it could just be a part of the same system. 
have them build their own system. Maybe that, like give them the tools for them to build their own system. That's why I don't think there's like one solution to rule them all. Like one network that's going to win is because the concept of fairness isn't ubiquitous across the globe. You can't, I don't think you can make a concept of fairness that fits everybody. No, you absolutely can't. I think there's no way to make fair for everybody. If you modularized the ability for people to create tiny blockchains and, and the legal infrastructure protected them to do so, so that value could be exchanged from those little tiny private blockchain, like say like, like a neighbor, like the argument that we were talking about with uh, Eric that D brought up, like what if we wanted to have piping within a community and all four of us were neighbor, uh, neighbor, uh, neighbors, um, why couldn't you have like a little private blockchain for that neighborhood where you have uh, value poured into that? because that's a blockchain dedicated for public works for the neighborhood. And then you have that chain connect to another chain where, you know, maybe that's the bigger chain is actually the, the civil service for the community, for the, for the city that you live in. And so you are able to kind of instantiate value and networks where there need to be and, and potentially the ability to close them once the project has been completed. But they don't live within the ecosystem that is Ethereum. So they are not subjugated to the fees that are associated with doing layer two solutions where you have, I don't know, these, these, these problems. I just, I just think like funds should pop up and disappear as soon as they're needed. And when they're not needed, go away, not contribute to value in a larger system. I mean, in a sense, you've just described a good portion of the younger projects and ecosystem status included, right? The goal is to enable that type of future. Yeah. You have the level of connectivity, like Avalanche is probably another example. Polkadot and Cosmos are probably another example, depending upon how easy it is to pop up these blockchains. They're not so easy because popping something up across the hub and spoke model that is those systems isn't as easy. Avalanche and what Status hopes to do, maybe maybe so. I don't know how other projects are trying to attack that problem. But like, yeah, that's the goal. And with, and, and with Layer 2s, it's potentially there, but... Mm-hmm you're always going to have the bare minimum cost that gets spread across all the transactions you end up doing be the at like the aggregation, like how much it costs to dump the aggregation block from a layer two onto Ethereum one, that's going to cost money. That then has to be shared across all the transactions that end up doing that. Right. And so like, hopefully there's enough transactions happening on these layer twos that like the distribute, like the, the distributed, difference of cost gets so small that it's, 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 it's inconsequential. But if it's like one transaction in a block, it's going to be the same thing as using Ethereum one. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, so like if you do that type of thing on the model of Ethereum two mm-hmm. and layer two is on top of it, there, you're always still going to pay the cost. Like you're always still going to pay the cost of what it takes to like dump the layer two aggregated data onto the layer one. Um, other systems may find a different way of doing this, and I think it remains to be seen. So, like, like it, it's all it's all experimental at this point. Ethereum's leading the way, yeah, but that doesn't mean it's going to win in the end. The I guess Bitcoin I just I just just like a just like a buy Bitcoin and hold it and see what happens. Yeah, buy Bitcoin is just its own thing at this point. Um, no, like the thing is, I just think that there should be a almost in the in the way that you can kind of like spin up a blockchain node 
or even uh, an entire blockchain through AWS. Like there should be, like there's there will be at some point. There already is our services that have like decentralized node infrastructure. That if you want, um, if you want some virtualized computation, you can do that. And it, like it's like a decentralized version of AWS. But I wish that it was more fragmented, where you're not building in one ecosystem. Everybody kind of builds their own chain they there's a they build their own chain but it's not a chain that has everybody's activity on it's it's a system where the chains pop up as they're needed and then they get stored or go away and yeah. it's just i don't know it just think, seems yeah, like that, that, that seems reasonable and i think that's yeah. what, like that's the goal i think that's the end goal of communities and the infrastructure that supports it with status is these like communities and chains that support them i guess why didn't status launch its own chain like why build like the well we always had the smt token on on ethereum and yeah the like the technology that's available currently to do that in the manner that it needs to scale based on what status wants to do with communities Uh isn't there yet so like it seems naive and contrary to current stakeholders should do something like that now this is my personal opinion right i'm just one person in the whole company but like it seems as though it we're not ready to do something like that even if it is the end goal of status to figure out a way to do it Mm. uh i don't think everything needs its own chain well that needs to be separated right just based on the concept i said earlier where like a community who's thriving within themselves should not be crippled by the success of something completely outside their community which which happened when gas prices went up. You couldn't even like if you were a smaller DAO, like let's say we had a DAO, gas prices would be so exorbitant that we wouldn't be able to function. Yeah, and that happens. So that's to a what lot I'm saying. When gas prices, I, I know, and that's that's what I'm saying. That's what that that's the problem that you get when you build within a larger ecosystem, and you know, functionality disappears because the success you know, of something you don't care about should exactly. keep you from being able to operate. It's exactly. like ideally, right? So like, let's try right. to make systems that are resilient to that type of thing and right now that doesn't exist Mm -hmm. unless you have to build your entire an entirely new network and then bridging technology to get there and that's just that's so much additional infrastructure that isn't probably technically necessary there's the solution otherwise you know you know how like bitcoin introduced this idea that everybody should have their own self-sovereignty right you're your own bank right yeah why don't we all have our own blockchain like community, like community, almost like I know, cause, no, because blockchain requires a community. It re- like a given digital scarcity mm-hmm. requires a community to give it value. But there's a there's a community and behind every person, right? So like, what I mean is like, no, there would be inherent. Not. There could be. Definition of a community is multiple people. Like, you you there you, could you be. need a group of people focused on a given ideology or a common goal set that gives yeah. value to whatever digital scarcity that exists, right? And the blockchain is the underlying ledger for those types of things. And the consensus algorithm that builds that blockchain is the fairness in which, and like the, the fairness and the security of the underlying digital scarcity. And that's all relative to the size of those things and the, and the, and the total amount of value associated with it. And that can be built slowly and grow and, mm-hmm. and like, and then be transferred into something else in the event that like they decide they want to be absorbed by something else. But like, as it currently exists, 
most of what we've seen happen is like the instantiation of that is an ERC-20 token on Ethereum, which is always going to be at the bare floor. The cost of operating that type of thing is going to be the cost of gas fees on Ethereum, which is influenced heavily by things that most tokens don't give a shit about. Now, like, let's try and make something where like that influence isn't quite there yet. It doesn't exist as much. And I don't know what that looks like, but it's probably closer to what you're talking about where you have this this network of blockchains. And the, and the, the topology, that, that network topology that we're talking about here today is what the vision of Avalanche is trying to be. Whether or not they do that yeah. is a different story. But you, even then, you run a chain within that that. That's what it is. Like a subnet is its own you you using... can, a subnet is its own group of chains. Right. And that's that's where the topology of what I imagine does not line up with what Avalanche has done is because it's a it's a oh, private they chain. There yet. They just haven't gotten there yet. But also like now mm-hmm. that now what I would call a negative note on blockchain is that anyone mm-hmm. who runs on Avalanche is required to run the primary network, which is like the 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 floor of resources required to do anything in the network. And that may be too much for some communities. Now, solving that problem hasn't been solved yet either. So, like, I'm that's that's what I'm saying. For yeah. So, like, in order if you want to start a small community, it may cost you fifty thousand dollars for every mm-hmm. validator that you need to have, because you have to run the primary network and computing resources to make sure that you can keep up with the rest of the network. That may be too much, right? Which which creates a floor for any community to ever even exist. That that fifty thousand number I is that based? I made that up. Okay. What would what would be the the most secure? Well, so this is just kind of like in the in the in the same vein of like how would you create like a personalized blockchain node? Like, what would the costs be to like pop them up and then bring them down? I don't know. It depends. Like, one how much level of security you need. You know, yeah. Like, what type of connectivity it has to a larger network. In the event that it needs to spin down, right? There's infrastructure associated with doing that type of stuff. That like, and how easy it is 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 probably going to be expensive. I don't know. Like, I'm hoping I can help figure out a solution for that because that's where I want status to go. Mm-hmm. Because community features, like the like building quality Web three enabled communities, I think requires that type of interaction. But the underlying infrastructure to support it isn't very clear. It's like it's it's based on what we have available to us today. It's not very clear. So then, from all this conversation comes, we either have specialized hardware, or we are going to be constrained to nah, better consensus, um, better cryptography, uh, better understanding of like how staking is in like and, and like anti-civil mechanisms work within consensus uh better amms like more efficient like automated markets for dexes so that these like you can spin something up it gains value and then it's available to be transferred into something that's larger than itself or otherwise so like you have liquidity across these different communities uh, i just i think it's always interesting that people try to do this funky it's just going to be incredibly tough to move this technology outside of the realm of finance. Like I know oh, there's, it's all, 
generally finance because you're talking about moving value around. Yes, you are, but there's different rules around moving different types of value. And it's it's just incredibly hard to have all those different rules exist on one platform. And so that's why I think money is the easiest thing right now and the first obvious thing, but people want to use, I think it's not going to be this magical world where we have a supply chain blockchain magically interacting with a financial blockchain. It's just much too tough. It's a very tough problem. I think that anyway, I I just, I think that um, kind of just, I'm getting a lot of inspiration from that conversation with Eric in in the way that like, there are a lot of things that are going to happen in the, in the coming years, um, like the dynamics of maybe fiat being more or less worth its current value. Um, and in the event that like, let's say blockchains and, and their associated value do kind of come into, um, friction with like dollars, fiat systems, there will, there will, there will have to be a way to a a more complex way of governing all those systems that you can kind of like offload value onto those systems and not have to worry that anybody's really like you're, you're, you're not creating the old thing again, I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah. That's going to be a lot of experimentation though, because like what works and all these different environments is going to be different. Yeah. Yeah. Tough, tough problems to solve. Uh, Let's get into the interview though. Yeah. We had Eric Voorhees on the show. For you guys that don't know who Eric Voorhees is, you probably just got into crypto yesterday. You fucking noob. Do see you this time. Uh, founder, CEO of Shapeshift would be fine. Right. Yeah. I'm considering we're live. He just introduced himself. So, Oh, we're live again? Yeah. yeah. So I, I thought this was going to be a recording. But yeah, I did it for you. We're well, live. Right. Ain't Here we go, everybody. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast <laughs> interview with... Uh, the founder and CEO of Shapeshift, Mr. Eric Voorhees. How are you, Eric? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for being here. This is the first time you've come to our show with video. Usually it was just audio. This year we started doing video, you know, so yeah. this is great. Technology is advancing. It got mm-hmm. to the point where, like, we don't have to do a bunch of things to do a reasonable level of production. Mm-hmm. And so here we are. Nice. Well, in the in the white void, we got a lot of things to talk about. Who wants to go first, Jesse? No, I think I think Corey wants to take the first. Corey, question. go for it, man. Go. All right, cool. So, all right. So, for those who are living under a rock, <laughs> um, you recently announced that you are going to take Shapeshift and decentralize it. And so, for the longest time, when you started out as a pseudonymous company. And then that required no KYC to do swaps between assets and across various chains, which was like huge back then. I used it extensively. We'll get into that in a little while. Hmm. Um, and then you decided to become regulatorily compliant and do full KYC and build a company that made sure it it it, it 
played by the rules, then the organization can sustain kind of the regulatory frameworks that it that it lived in, right? Or whatever jurisdiction you're a part of. And yep. uh, recently decided to decentralize the organization, dissolve all of that, um, and it disperse a token, which has now become the the governance of how Shapeshift moves forward. Fox. You got it. Uh, and you did an airdrop to then distribute Fox tokens to um, a lot of the previous users and then other allocations which you may get into. My main question here, and this is, don't get me wrong, like, there's a lot to go into there, but like, where I kind of want to start this is, why now? Why did you decide that the tools available to you were appropriate to make this change, whereas previously they weren't? Great question. Yeah, so like if you had asked me a year ago, hey, Erica, are you going to decentralize Shapeshift? I would have um, considered it, uh, but wouldn't have known how to do it, wouldn't have known that it could be done, and wouldn't have realized how powerful of a decision it could be. And so I would have probably just dismissed the idea. So this is relatively new. Um, this started with us integrating decentralized protocols for trading in Shapeshift. Uh, first, a bunch of Ethereum-based DEXs in January, and then ThorChain in April. And at that point, we removed entirely our own trading systems with customers, which meant that we were no longer doing any regulated activity in terms of trading, which meant we didn't need to do KYC anymore because we were not providing a regulated service. And that process of, uh, of realizing the power of some of these decentralized technologies further led us to think like, what else can we plug in that's decentralized? And maybe we ourselves should just be decentralized. And then a million reasons why you can't do that pop up. And you just start thinking creatively of like, how can we solve that problem and that problem and that problem? And will this benefit all of our stakeholders, our customers, our shareholders, our employees? We can't screw any of those three groups in anything we do. And when we realized how to maneuver this in a way that would benefit all three of those groups, and we realized like the future of finance is open and immutable. And so we should be in that model ourselves. Um, the decision was made to decentralize the company. So we've been working on this behind the scenes since at least April or March and went public with this on July 14th last week. That's a lot. That's a lot to work on. And I, I would consider a small amount of time. Like what gives you confidence that the, that the like security of these decisions is robust? Like this isn't going to screw you. We don't have confidence. This is like a new thing, right? Oh, okay. I, I mean, like when it. you're when you're walking into new ground, confidence is not a luxury that you get to enjoy. Then in that what case, you, like what you try to do is weigh risks and figure out the opportunities and decide if the opportunities are worth the risks and you move forward or not. Um, so the hardest part of this is that there are no guarantees. There are no playbooks. Uh, a lot of the questions that we have for our advisors, for our lawyers, um, internally among ourselves, there are no answers to yet. And we have to figure these things out on our own. Mm. That sounds exciting. It is exciting. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it is the opposite of like a boring corporate job. That's for sure. But boring corporate jobs have, um, safety and security and comfort. And we have none of those things right now, but you can't really be like an entrepreneur in the crypto ecosystem and desire, uh, comfort and safety. If you are, you know, like <laughs> you're not really pushing any boundaries at all. Well, that's not, I mean, 
in my interpretation of your decision to do something like this, it isn't because you're trying to stay bleeding edge of the crypto ecosystem. Like you've been touting the ideology of blockchain and Bitcoin and decentralization of power and anti-fragile mechanisms for a long time, whether it be through the vehicle of vehicle of Bitcoin or the original, like the initial instantiation of Shapeshift. This mm -hmm. is, in my opinion, like another version of that. Like you're like, and the KYCing of, of Shapeshift, which has probably been on the lips of a lot of people, was a betrayal to a lot of those ideologies. Mm -hmm. Do you like was was the kind of removing the need for centralization a part? like a big part of the decision to do this? Or was it just trying to stay on the bleeding edge of what governance is like for crypto organizations? Uh, we're not trying to stay on the bleeding edge of what governance is like. That's more the means to the end. What we're trying to do is build a crypto platform that is as close to immutable as possible. And one that maintains fidelity to the principles that Bitcoin first laid out. Decentralization, immutability, openness, transparency, and ultimately giving complete sovereignty to individual users over their own finances. Um, various parts in our history, we have been pulled away from achieving those principles, and that gets very painful. And so our entire challenge has been, without breaking laws, how do we maintain our principles, right? And that's a very challenging question. How do we not become a surveillance apparatus of the state? How do we not violate people's fourth amendment under the constitution in the United States? How do we maintain privacy and how do we give people the respect and dignity of them being lords of their own domains when it comes to their assets? If we can figure out how to do that with the technologies available, then we will do so. And so this, this move to decentralization is us making that move. It's saying, okay, the, the things which are regulated services, we, we simply will not do anymore. You can make us follow the regulations if we're providing such services, but you can't make us provide such services. We're not going to provide those services anymore. And instead, we're just going to hook our users up directly so that they can use immutable protocols for those services. Um, we believe that is like the right move for our users and that's what we're going to take. Mm. Do you, you've been in this space so long um, and you've, you've seen it evolve through all these uh, little spikes of popularity that we go through every few years. Um, what did you think about this most recent one? The one that happened, uh, you know, back, was that March, February, March prices were bananas. Yeah, Everybody was talking about it. I'm sure Snoop Dogg did something. Oh, he did. Uh, that fight. Like, he did. I, I was on a call where he was like uh, selling some NFTs that he had just created. <laughs> so <laughs> that sounds right. That sounds yeah. just about right. But so that happened. I guess what I say is like, what do you what do you think about it? Is like, um, do you think that this kind of rinse and repeat uh, spikes of popularity is something that's sustainable, or do you think we ever tip? You know, we 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 jump the we jump over that hump and like, this is actually something that people just use in their everyday life. Uh, crypto is a part of all things. It's, uh, you know, massively adopted. The, the visual I always use for this is like, if you had an asset, which was going to go from zero usage 
to global domination, um, how would the price chart of that asset look over time? It starts at zero and it's gonna go to some super high level. It can't just go in like this linear line, right? Because it would mean that you'd have a financial asset that was appreciating at like 10 or 20% per month consistently for months and months and months and months. If there was such an asset, everyone would buy the shit out of that thing, right? They would bid that up and you would start to actually bend that line up into a speculative bubble. That itself is not sustainable. That will pop at some point and then people will get disenchanted with the thing and it will fall back down. And all Bitcoin is, all the crypto markets are, is that process happening. It's this, the, this set of assets which are rising to dominate the global financial system and they can't go up in a straight line. So what it means is they, they're going to get bid up into these bubbles and the bubbles will pop and then there will be a, a period of misery and disillusion for a while. But the growth is still happening. The technology is still getting better. People are getting more comfortable with the stuff. So eventually that disillusionment ends and people will like start getting excited again and it, it keeps going. So your question is like, will that go forever? No, but it will probably go until the stuff is fairly ubiquitous. And we're certainly a long way from that. What do you yeah. what do you evaluate that underpinning line as? What what is the what is the driving force of what would be the linear growth outside of speculative bubble boom markets? Yeah, it's a little different for each asset. Um, Bitcoin being the simplest one to describe here, uh, but to have something that is provably scarce and where you can move value anywhere in the world instantly with no no one being able to stop you. That's a technology that eventually everyone will demand to have. And, um, you know, whether you're just considering that as like a base money that people use as savings or whether you're considering that as a financial tool to move value anywhere instantly, both those things are hugely valuable. And so, you know, there's only 21 million units and put those two things together and you get an asset that's going to rise and rise and rise until it's become ubiquitous. Mm. You're reigniting my excitement. Thank you. <laughs> it's exactly what I wanted. Yeah, you, you can't get you can't get too down about the noise, right? Because yeah. that's that's the noise. You got to just zoom out. So you know it's scary. Wait, I don't want to. I don't want to bring up that project that must not be named, but like the one that Joe likes. But like the same <laughs> thing that exists around that, and I'm just trying to like still. I'm still trying to digest that, right? Because they kind of, do you think? Do you think I should ask? Why Eric? can't you? I don't. Why Eric, not? what do you think about hex? That's uh, whatever you want. <laughs> that's, the, that's the response I'm looking for. Yeah. There's a there's a lot of people that call lots of things scams in this industry, <laughs> and I think that term is way overused. Yeah. Uh, I believe hex is a scam. <laughs> um, we have removed it from uh, CoinCap, one of our properties. We will never add it to Shapeshift. Um, I can't prove it to you that is a scam, but uh, all my scam sensors are telling me to stay the hell away from that one. Yeah. And um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's funny that you mentioned because like scam is such a subjective it not so it's not such a subjective thing not really but sometimes just, i get use i get upset when i'm like for real you just took this water bottle and put it under a waterfall and now you're just giving it to me and you're gonna charge me five dollars for it that's a scam it's not a scam 
but is it? I feel like it is. But, but not, not if you didn't have a water bottle and that, that yeah, provided exactly. value like, to you. Oh, I didn't have that yeah, bottle. Look, That's if, what I needed. If X provides utility and value in some way that I'm not aware of, okay, right? Like I don't know everything. I'm just saying from my perspective, it looks like an obvious scam. Hmm. Okay, what about Dogecoin? <laughs> the show is now i'm just curious to like take from eric deals with like yeah shape. scammy takes like, granted you do have like on the reasonable side of this like y'all have to make judgment calls i mean maybe not so much if you're incorporating a bunch of other decentralized protocols for making trading pairs but like yeah there was a time we... where you were doing due diligence on coins and figuring out whether or not they're added to the ui how does yeah. that work yeah yeah great question um our general policy as a business has been if it if it doesn't appear to be an obvious scam, we should generally <laughs> add it. Like that's our threshold. Something that is an obvious scam, we will not add. Um, we removed uh, BSV, Bitcoin SV, for that very reason. Um, that reason and a coin, that coin and then one other that I forget its name were the only two that we ever had and removed, which we felt like, oh, we made a mistake. Get that thing off our platform. Um, but other than that, there's a lot of coins that are stupid or bad ideas or won't work. It doesn't mean they're scams. And we generally want to facilitate the ability of the markets to figure out which of these things are useful. So our, our threshold is fairly low, but yeah, if something is a scam, I don't want to be, I don't want to be using my private property in a way that helps that thing grow. What's that phrase? Like never attribute to like never attribute bad acting that could be attributed to ignorance or yeah I think never something never attribute to to malice that which can be attributed to ignorance or yeah. something like that yeah it's a great phrase yeah, thanks it's a great Jay-Z. phrase was that Jay Z that said that hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent no yeah because you guys some wise person uh, you never accepted decoy and I sent you that image that selfie of me with a note that said I promise I'm not gonna take it. I and don't even so, know what that is. You guys, I'm, <laughs> you do that. You I'm D. So, no, I didn't do that. I, didn't do that. Uh, um, I want to talk a little about Fox more. Like, like I, sure. Wow. He doesn't want to talk about a damn thing. His internet wow. said he doesn't want to talk about anything. NSA got him. Well, um, I guess I'll ask some, some philosophical stuff. Of, um, you know, over the years, our audience has gotten, has seen me kind of grow and I give these attestations to things that I feel are going on in the space. And Corey, you lost your turn, bro. Wait in line. Hard, hard <laughs> no, um, I fear that this is, this is all open source tech, right? And if it's open source, anyone can use it. And the same exact systems that, you know, this stuff the, the was created to kind of fight against they can use it. It's open source, right? So I fear that, like, we're talking about decentralization, but I also fear that maybe those things naturally converge to centralized in order for things to be effective. Like, that's just a fear I've had. Do you feel that, like, for example, like, you, you've mentioned, like, I think five protocols just since in this interview. ThorChain, I think you said, and now we said Fox, which is a protocol. Um, a token, not a protocol. A token, but sorry. Fair. Um, but I just see more and more and more layers of knowledge being needed to actually be successful in this space, which to me points straight towards, okay, 
there's going to have to be a geek squad of crypto and they're going to hold all the knowledge and they're going to make sure people don't hurt themselves and send, you know, tokens to the wrong address. And then all of a sudden we've got this huge industry of custodians and then we've got five coin bases and not one. Right. Yeah. And so do you fear that happening at all? Or are you like, nah, that can't, that's not a thing. It's a, it's a deep question and a good one. I think that, a lot of the complexity in the industry is actually trying to make it simpler for end users, right? So an example of this. So if you go to a normal exchange, there is the degree of complexity with onboarding at that exchange, with wiring money to them, with going through all the KYC stuff and all that nonsense. Or you can like click a button at Uniswap and like do a trade from your MetaMask wallet very easily. That experience is quite a bit easier especially when you have a little basic information, but to make that happen required the entire creation of Ethereum, smart contracts, AMMs, liquidity pools, um, MetaMask, like, uh, you know, all sorts of technology and complexity in order to give the user the Uniswap experience instead of the traditional centralized order book experience. Um, so you have to be careful, like sometimes when you see complexity building in one area, it's actually making the experience simpler uh, elsewhere. Your point about custodians is really important. Um, I, again, I'll, I'll appeal to Uniswap here. When Uniswap had its first day where it did more volume than Coinbase was one of my favorite days in all of crypto's history. Because for the first time, you had a decentralized protocol actually achieve something more than a centralized one. And that meant that perhaps there wasn't just this inevitable force that would pull everyone into the centralized custodians. There's a lot of efficiencies in centralization, uh, but still you get something that can outcompete Coinbase on an even smaller timeline um, in a decentralized way. Like that, that demonstrates that it's not just a linear path here. Mm. But the governance, like the token ownership is going to be like, if you look at the percentage breakdown of who owns like the uni token, isn't it owned by like several large, um, like hedge funds? I don't know. It's pseudonymous. What's, what does it look what is like? It really? What is it like? <laughs> I, no, I'm saying I, I don't know. I haven't looked into oh. the, the structure of the ownership of those tokens. What is true is that anyone can move in or out of that market whenever they want anywhere in the world 24 seven. And you compare that to a centralized exchange that has a private cap table that only accredited investors can enter every few years at a private round. Um, I think that's vastly superior. I mean, that's a, that's a huge improvement. So, um, and, and even the fact that you can like go in and see that, that you can see the addresses and the breakdown of those tokens is a degree of transparency that you do not get in any centralized company. So I'd say that's an improvement. And with real time, like dynamics, like you can see I agree. Mm -hmm. token flows in real time yeah. as they change. If you, if you yeah. choose to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, just from like a capital structure perspective, take a central company. And if any of you guys have been involved in a company that has private shares and investors, the friction and difficulty that you have with one owner who wants to exit their position and another one who wants to buy it, it takes all sorts of approvals, paperwork, uh, shareholder uh, discussions and meetings. Like it's a, it's a mess. And so it rarely happens until you get to like being a publicly listed. 
in crypto token markets, anyone can go in and out of these projects with almost no friction at all. And you don't even need to know who the person's name is. It's, mm -hmm. it's one or two step function improvement over uh, how capital allocation works today. And I think it's going to completely transform the business world. This is one of the reasons why we were so excited to take Shapeshift from a centralized entity and go experiment with a token-based model. It's almost like a I'm almost happy I got cut out here because that led into what I was getting to here um, before I my browser crashed for some reason. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Wow. That can't, that You're funny, D. Real funny, D. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to do it. I had to. I'm sorry. I was like, oh, this is going to be fucking kidding me. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> Uh, got you. Like, as like uh, I was saying beforehand, don't do it again. Uh, I was using MetaMask for like since since inception, like much of the chagrin of me trying to pay taxes on those swaps because I couldn't keep track of those transactions very well because I did bad bookkeeping back then. But like when I went, I, mean, I did keep track of all of those keys. Mm -hmm. I got airdrops on, I think, all of those keys. Like, how did you do this airdrop? How are you able to keep track of, one, all the addresses of their activities? And how did you come to the idea of, like, what's the distribution of Fox that's most that, – that benefits us most? How do, yeah. how do we create a community of, one, all of the users we've ever had? And then how do we proportion allocation to these people as well as, like, internal structure and future development? Yeah. Well, we didn't need it to be perfect, right? We didn't need to find like the optimal distribution. We just needed to find a pretty good distribution that people would be happy with. So we knew a few good best practices. One, the airdrop has to be a fairly substantial portion of the entire base of the asset. If it's like 1% of the token supply, it's not going to have any effect. So in our case, it was over a third of all the tokens that will ever exist were airdropped out to the world. Um, we wanted to first and foremost reward our community of customers. So over 800 something thousand Shapeshift customers who had ever used Shapeshift in the past with an Ethereum or ERC20 trade, they were included. And the more trades they had done with us historically, the more tokens they got in the airdrop. Um, we also, as part of this decentralization, it's like part of the benefit of that is the composability and relationships that you get between open crypto systems. So we are trying to enter into this whole DeFi world by being decentralized ourselves. And there are a lot of pioneers before us that have built decentralized protocols and projects that inspired us and helped lead the way for Shapeshift. We wanted to thank them, thank their communities and get them involved in what we were doing. So we airdropped to 160,000 people uh, in all sorts of communities like Thorchain and Uniswap and Gitcoin, um, a dozen others. And we did that because those are obviously the kind of people we want using our systems. So in some ways that's marketing. And in other ways, that is us showing like, hey, let's give you guys a bunch of wealth. Thank you for building what you've built. We're going to use that stuff. That's made our life better. And let's work together more. Mm. What about the rest of it? Like, how do you do it? So oh, you mean like the non-airdrop tokens? Yeah, like like you have the yeah. airdrop tokens, which is like a like a, that's a problem in itself of like who were the best people to both reward for previous activity of our platform and try and get to the users of like the most efficient users for who would be customers for us, as well mm -hmm. as thank the the projects that have 
helped us get to the point where we are now, which is a lot of what you just said. And then you have mm -hmm. the other two thirds, which is how do we allocate the rest of these yeah. tokens to future development and the core team of building this thing and so on and so forth. Yeah. So the second biggest bucket uh, is the foundation, not the foundation, the DAO. The DAO itself has to have a massive treasury to perpetuate for a long period of time. So we put a 242 million, roughly a quarter of all the tokens into that DAO. Um, and then beyond that, you know, we're moving from a centralized entity to a decentralized one. We have to do this in a way that benefits our shareholders or else I would not feel good as a CEO and having like slighted them. They needed to get a good return for their investment and our employees who have built everything that we have and have given us, you know, sometimes years of their life, they need to be uh, made well off in this situation also. So those groups uh, all got a large amount of tokens. It was important for us to make sure that they stay aligned with the long-term success of Shapeshift. So all of those tokens unlock over three years. They're not just a big pile that they can take and sell today. Um, Beyond that, we have a, a portion of about 7% of all the tokens going to this foundation. The foundation is just there to help decentralize Shapeshift. And uh, Shapeshift, the entity, is keeping about 1% of the tokens as it winds down for various expenses. So um, that's, that's, I think, all the major buckets. Yeah. I think yeah. I, I asked this question because I have confidence that you have provided the community with a roadmap to DAOifying a centralized company. Um, actually, we have not. An example, right? It's an example we, of like how you can take a company that wants to decentralize itself and potentially does a pretty good job of it. I, I personally feel as though you're at least going to attempt to make good decisions in doing this. And I'm curious to see how it yeah. goes from here. Yeah, we're, I, I think I would phrase it as we're making that roadmap right now. Yeah. We, we aren't decentralized today. We are still a centralized entity. Our announcement last week was that we have started a process of complete decentralization, which at the end, there will be no shapeshift entity. There will be no executive team, no CEO, no employees, uh, no banks, and um, all the code will be open source. And that's a journey that will take months. And so we're going to walk down that journey and to the degree we can help communicate what we're doing to others and the mistakes that we make and, and what works, we'll try to do that. Mm, that should be a documentary, that journey. I feel sure. like it's gonna be. So all you cinematographers listening, so just, just saying. Um, I I don't have a question, but somebody watching live right now has a question. I'm gonna put it on the screen there. And I don't even know what that means. To which I responded, "What?" And then he said, "Eric was asked this at a conference in 2013." I, uh -huh. I do remember. <laughs> At San Jose, San Jose, the Bitcoin conference in San Jose, uh, I gave this talk on Bitcoin as money. And uh, this guy, we did like Q&A and this guy stands up and asks about the, the telios of Christ and what that means vis-a-vis um, -vis Bitcoin. I don't know what I responded, but that was just like the weirdest question. And, and so I Is that the weirdest question or like comment you've gotten in the process of like, you've been in countless conferences and talks. Throughout throughout your your time spent in in crypto, where how was that on the rank of like? It was pretty um... weird. It was pretty weird. You know, like I'm used to the questions about like regulation, right, and like Bitcoin as money, and like the technology and scalability, and all these other tokens, and like things that are based in the industry. 
I don't, I have no idea what teleos even means. I want to incorporate that into my vernacular like today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a great word. And I, I wish I was smart enough to understand what it meant. But, um, and, and it was the way that the guy said it where like he was just so serious and sincere in his question. He wasn't trolling. He had no conception of like how strange of a question that even was. Uh, and that made it that made it weirder. So yeah, I remember that. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for bringing it up. The Telios of Christ. I was spelled sure. wrong. What is it, Corey? What is Telios? BibleStudyTools.com. Interesting. Um, definition: brought to its end, finished. Two wanting oh. nothing necessary to completeness. Oh, that's what he's asking. He's asking if Bitcoin is, Three is the beginning of the end. That which is perfect. Ah. Consummate humanity, integrity, and virtue. You know, what's funny is my auntie asked me the same question over Christmas dinner a few years back. <laughs> but it wasn't worded by the telehills of Christ. And I completely <laughs> ignored her. I did not ignore her strawberry cheesecake, though. Maybe these people know something we don't, and all of us are just sitting here building the end of the world, and Maybe. we're all going to feel really bad about it. The Bible has a few things to say about things that unite. How do you feel about that? What if that's the case? If, if I don't know, bro. Bitcoin brought about the end of the world? <laughs> I guess I'm riding the wave of I fire. Know. I don't know. I mean, if world like, War Three it started because like everybody wrecked like traditional finance. So yeah, that's joking amazing. aside. If that joking happened, aside, joking aside, if that happened, um, it is probably not because Bitcoin wrecked finance. It's because finance wrecked itself, and Bitcoin popped that bubble. Now, I have no doubt. I have no doubt that when that happens, when the sovereign bond market collapses and like the dollar is plummeting to its grave, that Bitcoin alternative systems of finance will be blamed for that, and a lot of normal people will. Uh, take that bait. Um, we saw this with gold earlier in the century where gold was blamed uh, as the cause of uh, United States financial problems, when in reality, the cause was overspending and uh, the, de the requirement to detach the dollar from gold was because they had destroyed the value of the dollar, not because gold did anything. Gold was trying to hold a discipline that the government could not do. So that propaganda war is absolutely coming at us, and hopefully everyone in crypto is ready for that. I think we are. What do you do if they repatriate Bitcoin somehow? <laughs> you think that's going to happen? Uh, they could. I mean, it happened with gold, happen. right? Happen with gold. I don't think that's happening. Just based on ownership and and like how like Bitcoin is I mean, gold, arguably is a uh, jurisdictional asset. Like so just jurisdiction list asset uh, as Bitcoin is, but like the propagation of Bitcoin and the politics associated with it doesn't feel like something like any jurisdiction repatriate outside of El Salvador, which is more of a marketing scheme. Yeah, I, I doubt that that would happen. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Obviously, Bitcoin is so easy to hide unlike gold, which has a physical presence and in any significant amount, you can't cross distance with it. Um, so it is far easier to try to gather up all the gold and prevent citizens from having and using it than it is to do that with a, a digital currency. Um, at the same time, it is shocking that that was able to happen with gold, which had been around for thousands of years and which society recognized as an important tool of civilization. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin is far newer. 
it's going to be a lot easier to vilify something like Bitcoin, which does not have a thousand years of human civilizational history around it. Very true. Can't wait to be the villain. How about you, Jess? <laughs> I uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to call us a villain, so it doesn't matter. The next time I cancel a subscription service, I'm telling them we've come to the teleos of this agreement. Uh, no, more, <laughs> no more Paramount Plus for me. It's over. Uh, I want to I bring it back to more technical questions and be a bummer. Uh, Let's go for it. How does a DAO work? Like, what, in your opinion, like, what is a DAO and what are the technical tools you need to make one work? And and why is like today's available DAO infrastructure, uh, like sufficient for what you've done? Yeah, uh, DAOs have an interesting history, starting in ultimate disaster. You know, back in 2016, with the first thing called the DAO, which is called the DAO, and something like 10 or 20 percent of all the Ethereum in the world got sucked up into this thing because people wanted to invest in it. And then there was an exploit and it blew up and that ultimately caused Ethereum and Ethereum Classic to hard fork in different directions. So DAO has some baggage and no one used that term for a few years, but it has crept back into the vernacular. Um, in part because of DeFi, because people are building decentralized financial tools. And a lot of these teams are building it without a company existing at all. They're, they're, it's open source software, but it's open source software combined with a token where value accrual happens. And that intersection is essentially a DAO. It's an organization, a loose dynamic organization of people that all share interest in one token. And generally, the governance of where a project goes falls to the token holders so a DAO is similar to a corporation in that value accrual befalls the token of the DAO and the governance and voting of where this thing goes befalls on the token whereas in a corporation all that happens at the share level um, so there are certainly similarities between these things DAOs are not all alike, they're all being experimented with. You could have a DAO of two or three people or a DAO of 10,000 or 100,000 people. Um, you could have a DAO that was organized around a very tiny little project that people cared about or a DAO that created like a $1 trillion financial application that was unstoppable. Um, arguably, Bitcoin itself is a DAO. Arguably. Now, that's a loose usage of the term. Mm -hmm. But uh, it certainly is made possible by that same technology. And the defining features now of DAOs are you get these tools, all this tooling around the governance stuff. So some of the stuff that Shapeshift is using is the ability for token holders to vote um, based on their token amount in a cryptographically provable way without them having to do an on-chain transaction. Is that something like that Snapshot? Snapshot, yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, so Snapshot is one of the tools we're using. Boardroom is one of the tools we're using. There's some really cool integrations with multi-sig contracts where the outcome of a vote that was done in a decentralized way among disparate parties is then enforced on chain by releasing funds to a predetermined address that the vote had incorporated. Is that like and a plugin to like maybe like a Gnosis multi-sig or is it? Yeah, you, you know more about I this know than all, I do. I, I know all the tools. I'm curious what yeah. people are using for real things, right? Like, and, yeah, and people are, we people are using the better. Yeah, so the Gnosis, I forget what it's called, the Gnosis multi-sig safe or, or whatever, um, that integrates with some of these tools like, like Boardroom or Snapshot. And so 
it's just a, it's super cool because when the vote occurs, you get an algorithmic outcome or a or a predetermined outcome that cannot be interfered with all the way through to the end payment to something. And that's something um, that's been an issue in like our early iterations of DAOs is that uh, one, it was very difficult to get people to vote. Mm -hmm. um, so incentivizing people to vote was very difficult. So you'd have small turnout, which wasn't quite the representation people wanted with yeah. their token holders. And so you maybe had biased or skewed votes based on whales or something, right? So the voting was a bit iffy. Snapshot helps fix a couple of those gains with that. Uh, and then once people voted, it was more like a, cool, you voted, but you can't do anything. It's just a signal. And things, yes. these other tools that you're talking about actually allow the 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 result of that vote to have on-chain consequences uh, without like requiring maybe an administrator to say, okay, here's the result. I'm going to go do it and trusting that person to do so, which is the whole concept yeah. of crypto. Yes. And it was reasonable to be skeptical or cynical about some of these early DAOs because that vote was kind of superficial. The vote would be like emailed, you know, to the guy that actually held the key. And then if he's honest, he will do the operation. That is certainly not in the spirit of what a DAO is trying to be. But that was an issue of tooling, not an issue of, of uh, possibility. So now these things can be done procedurally. And it's not just like vote to send money somewhere. It could be vote to change the fee rate in a platform or vote to turn the platform off or vote to like duplicate the platform and change it over here, but not over here. All these kind of things can be set up in the code of the smart contracts. Hmm. The, only, the only thing about it is like voting. It's hard to get people to vote. So, I mean, that's always going to be, that's always going to well, be something that. If people like to, it's hard to get people to do work. So if you make <laughs> voting easy, oh, yeah, I know that. It's, it's not as hard. If a text message pops up on your phone and it says, here's this vote that you heard about, click yes or no, and you click it. And by clicking it, you just signed with your self-custody wallet app and it went through to the vote. And that took you literally two seconds how hard is that to get people to vote? Probably not very, especially when you can add in economic incentives, right? Everyone yeah, who votes gets a token, right? If we get to this threshold, everyone gets a token. You can add in all sorts of interesting economic arrangements to these things. That's very true. That's a very good point because like I have E-Trade and every, every different stock that I own, they send me this, you know, here's how you vote pamphlet. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah you're not getting That's my vote. Do whatever you want to do. I don't care. Like yeah. I'm not. Like, <laughs> so. so Daniel just brought up a pretty good point, and that like, so people always Daniel's ask us behind you gotta, in the behind the scenes back yeah. room. Um, you have a private <laughs> chat. Throw random names out yeah. there. <laughs> and uh, like a head. lot of people, like in our community, have like, been asking us, and always ask us, like, how do I get involved? How do I get started? And more often than not, it's like join a community and start participating. Like ask questions, uh, try and participate in governance, buy the token, and see what you can do with it, and, and then and then give feedback. And when you have mechanisms like voting with incentives, or based on your level of participation in a given community, uh, potentials for airdrops when they decide to do these types of things. This is like the it, it incentivizes people to actually give their attention to these communities that they're interested in, uh, potentially for rewards for the work that they're doing just by learning, right? And it, it, it makes it a lot 
easier and rewarding to just spend time trying to figure out how something works and asking questions and eventually becoming potentially a staple of an early community. Mm -hmm. Like that's, yeah. that, I don't, I can't think of another example of that outside of crypto. Can, can you? What crypto brings is the ability to do this without having to trust people who are strangers. The reason these communities are so hard to form without crypto is like, how do you verify that someone did something and how do you trust that they'll get paid? And like, how do you, how do you know if this identity is the same one as this one? You have all sorts of trust issues and blockchains are tremendously valuable in solving not every trust issue, but many of them. So, and you, you don't need to know who someone is. You just know that they have something that they say they do because they can prove it cryptographically. That's a huge advantage to a community. And people need to recognize that this DAO stuff is not like a fully featured ecosystem yet. We're at the very beginning of people experimenting with this organizational structure. And they're doing it because they've been forced into this because they're trying to build open immutable software. And if they create a centralized corporation for it, they're all going to get in trouble and go to jail. So it's like it's the necessity is the mother of invention, as they say. And people are figuring out ingenious ways to self-organize around economic incentives and tokens, uh, because that is the way that you build open financial software. Mm. Well, I, I, I don't have a lot to fear anymore ever since this interview. Oh, we got another, we got another washer throwing some juice at us here. Juice. Hey, Joe. You think about the complexity inside the voting. So they, this is like political votes. Right? Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd say screw all that. That's a broken system. <laughs> I, do, I don't want to participate in any of that stuff. I wish they'd stop taxing me. Can't opt out. Can't opt out of those things. They'll they'll steal your money, and then that's speaking that's of which, since you're, you 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 hold pretty hard line on on those like political and ideological viewpoints. How do you feel about people like Cory Doctorow who have like have a have a strong desire for quality? regulation and taxation yet that's like a, a funny hard term. line for the eff right like um that's a hard i go hard, hard I differentiation go from, from previous conversation <laughs> yeah i i try to build my life on first principles and to be consistent in applying those principles we all have to make assumptions and the world is a subjective place in a lot of ways the assumption i make is that you shouldn't steal from people that each person owns their body. And from that, you can derive a set of principles. So under that principle, taxation is just theft and there's no way around it. Stealing from someone is wrong if you did it to your neighbor and it's wrong if you got your neighbor and yourself to go do it to a third neighbor. And the fact that there's two of you and one of him doesn't make it suddenly morally acceptable. Taxation is just that at a larger scale. And um, I wish we didn't have it, you know, and less would be better than what we have now. It's not like, it has to be zero for the world to be better. But um, wherever you can reduce coercion in the world, I think that's a noble goal. And that's why I care about crypto so much mm. because you have a purely market-based financial system without any coercion at any layer of it. Uh, it's more honest, it's more ethical, and it's what I choose to participate in. Yeah, I, I love that idea. However, I do see that there is there are good principles in taxes which is sucks to to think but i mean like they, there's principles there too like for example what if we're all neighbors the four of us 
And, you know, we come up with some underground plumbing system and it's great. But then we got to spend a ton of money to put a big pipe through there. We're not all going to be like, hey, Eric, you want to catch gets this large pipe? I'll get the next. Right. No, let's let's use that example. Let's use that example. If we if all four of us were neighbors, here's what civilized people would do. Like, hey, it's in our interest to get this piping system built. Let's all chip into this thing and then we'll have this benefit that we can all use. Right. That's a voluntary opt-in system. What you wouldn't do is go to these other two guys and say, hey, let's go steal a bunch of Eric's money so that we can build this piping system and he'll thank us for us later because he needs the pipes too. Here's the curveball though. Jesse's an asshole and he doesn't want <laughs> and he doesn't want to pitch into the leech. pipe. He doesn't want to pitch into the pipe and he doesn't want to move. He likes he wants to use the pipe. But he wants to use the pipe because it helps with his plumbing. Yeah. Right. And like that's I I don't that's know. I think it was a, it was a drunken night in college, and I was hanging out with Corey, and I have a mutual friend, and the guy was like, "All systems are great until the asshole shows up," and I was like, "Well, that's actually yeah, absolutely this is, right." This is why private property is important because the more common property you have, the more those issues arise, and a world with uh, private property to the maximum extent is a world in which you minimize that issue of those assholes. It doesn't mean it's a panacea. You know, it's not like the the libertarian world is a perfect world. Um, and it's not like that situation with him being an asshole isn't a problem. It is. But it does not justify suddenly stealing his property to solve the problem. And I think so much of society's issues are based on people starting to violate the private property of of other people. That's where you get most of the most atrocious things in the world forming when you start to feel like it's okay to violate someone else's self. Mm. So just chip in, Jesse. Chip into the just chip in, Jesse. <laughs> chip in, Jesse. You're an asshole, Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> and if it's such a good idea, you know, you should be able to convince him. You should That's be true. able to convince him. Reasonable. If it's that obviously a good idea, the vast majority of people will agree with. How do people pay for militaries? Like, like what? What would <laughs> happen? Go hard down this hole. Oh, we're going down the rabbit hole. I mean, like. I, I don't want to pay for military. I don't want to go kill people in other countries. Yeah, I actually like hate some other group that of my resources might are used be willing to, to pay for a military. So, like, in order to defend ourselves, we might have to pay for a military ourselves so defense, to protect our private property. Defense tends to be far cheaper in such cases than offense, and you will tend to find that militaries form when government governments are able to tax. When you have free people. They don't tend to build militaries to attack each other because it's so expensive. It is far more profitable to trade and be friends than it is uh-huh. to invade and kill each other. The people that invade and kill each other tend to be those who have this open, free pot of infinite money called tax money. That's where you get wars and the hor- most horrible violence. Let me argue with a part of Do that, tenet, and that, like, you know, there's, a, there's this... It's a, it's a phrase I use to defend cryptography quite a bit because uh, like a good portion of like you know, I live in America and a part of American regulation is to try and end, end encryption and that's happening across the globe, right? Um, and this is something I, I originally heard from Vitalik, but it didn't come from him. And that is like cryptography is the last bastion where uh, the defender has overwhelming overwhelming advantage to the attacker. It's much, mm-hmm. much more easy to attack something and cause devastation even like economically than it is to defend it. And the other way around. But but no, easier but, to, easy to attack. Which oh, is okay. the well, normal thing is easier to defend. The point the point is you have to consider profit motive. 
it's easy to attack and destroy a bunch of stuff, but what do you gain? Right there, you don't gain the anything commerce that, that. They, that is lost that they're not participating in. Opportunity you, cost. You've destroyed that. You've destroyed a huge amount of capital by invading an area and destroying people and systems and buildings and factories. Do you feel like is that so, the, the market is overwhelmingly better for just? Well, I'm a believer in economic incentives, yeah. and I struggle to find situations in which there is large economic incentives in in large scale industrial war. That's where the it, it comes in. It destroys. <laughs> yeah, it really it destroys is. That's the well. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the point about cryptography is a great one. I mean, cryptography is amazing because the asymmetry of power sits with the defender, not a little bit more, but like orders of magnitude more. So that any private individual with no resources at all, but just a, a $200 computer can create information and hide it from the NSA with can be a pain in the ass. billions of dollars in budget, right? Like that's, a, that's tremendously powerful that an individual can resist the largest spying agency in the world with all their resources that is it's, provided by strong cryptography it's the that's, laurels that's, that blockchain rests on and that's why we have like yeah. the confidence that we have and and everything that we've built so far yeah it's a a dissolution of power to out to the all people so all people have this ability to completely hide secrets from each other and that gives a certain equality to the world and a a fair playing field on which people can interact with each other. The moment you concentrate powerful abilities like that in the hands of few people, that's where you get the corruption. That's where you get a lot of the harm and devastation. This is why, again, I don't like taxation because it starts to pull and collect resources into a group that has all the weapons, all the violence and all the resources. And I don't care how, how good you think the intentions are, that's gonna lead to a lot of corruption. And yes, my cat has arrived. Cat is, is, is hitting me a long time. Is yeah, hungry. He's, he's got. He's got. A I wonder if that's like a like a like a like almost like a. Oh, it's a real cat. Because it'd be hilarious if it was like a timer that he hit at his foot. That was like it's time to wrap up. There <laughs> we go. Yeah. Yeah. This, well, this is Gaius. It has Gaius. been a lengthy interview. Always great interviews. Uh, we do have a couple trademark questions that we ask, and, and then. Um, We'll let Gaia get his uh, Eric Voorhees time or her Eric Voorhees time. Gaius, yeah. Gaius? Is that a boy? Gaius. Okay. Yeah. Jesse, right, I'll, I'll start, first, I'll start with done. the first one. Is what you do actually difficult? And however you want to interpret that. Yeah, I think what I do is difficult. I feel a little like, yeah, I, I think it's difficult. Do you feel like uh, people do things that are more difficult than me for sure? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that I'm good at the difficult thing, but yeah, I think what I do is difficult. Nice. There's, there's only been like one person that's like, no, easiest job in the world. <laughs> Easy. Um, what job was that? What was that person doing? I don't even remember, to be honest. Who was it? I don't remember either. I don't we'll look back because we're going to get back to you. We'll get an email. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, oh, wow, this question feels like it's evolving so much, but in 10 words or less, can you describe a DAO? Yeah, uh, a DAO is a, a decentralized economic organization, period. I think I just um, need three. A DAO is even if we just those add words the, don't the count. Articles. Yeah. <laughs> the articles. 
Yeah. All right. Well, okay. I guess, uh, thank you for your time. Is there anything else that, um, like you feel we should have asked you that you would have liked to have talked about that we didn't? Um, no, this was a good conversation. I like getting into the philosophical stuff. Uh, I would just say like anyone listening should go check if they're eligible for our airdrop, go to shapeshift.com. It's easy. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Eric Voorhees and, uh, happy to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate One last thing. I'd be, I'd be, uh, I'd be a bud if I didn't say it, but, uh, jet black from discord said, thank you for the Fox. He's, a, he's an old, I guess he's been, I guess he's been a shapeshift fan for a very long time. He happens to be in our Slack and he's a fan of the show and he wanted to say thank you. So he sounds like a smart guy. Yeah. I'm super happy. I'm thank you, sir. For the airdrop. Thank you. <laughs> oh yeah. By the way, uh, something that came up um, that Daniel caught before you came in, uh, the first vote is happening in the discord. Is that correct? Can you yeah. talk about that for a second? Yeah, the first vote is uh, this guy offered to make 10 NFTs to commemorate the first 10 governance items that passed the shapeshift out, which is kind of a cool way to commemorate it. So it's a vote to pay him, uh, I think, 12,000 Fox total, uh, 1,200 Fox per token, might be 16,000. Um, and he will issue the token to the creator of the first of the 10 proposals that pass. Okay. Well, you know, if you're the kind of idea we would never Fox come tokens. up with, and it's kind of a cool idea. Yeah, go to the, I'll, I'll go probably to the vote for it. Go to the Discord and put your vote in. Hey, you. Do you like chips? Like, do you really like chips? Where to the point where you're eating chips so much that you look around and there's crumbs and you're like, who put those crumbs there? Did I put those crumbs there? And I'm and I'm here to tell you, yes, yes, you did, because you like chips. And if you like Cheetos, especially flaming hot Cheetos then you should tell people to subscribe to this channel, the Bitcoin podcast, because one out of a thousand, that's right. When we get a thousand subscribers, one of them is going to get a hundred bags of Cheetos, flaming hot Cheetos, baby. Think to yourself, how, how many Cheetos is that? And I'm here to tell you, it's like a million calories. If you ate it all, you would most definitely not be healthy, but we're going to send them to you because Flamin' Hot Cheetos are amazing. So that's right. Share this around. Get us to 1,000 subscribers. We'd like to have 1,000 subscribers because if we had 1,000 subscribers, that means one of those 1,000 subscribers is getting 100 bags of Flamin' Hot Cheetos. So, you know, do your thing, guys. Do the YouTube stuff. <laughs> nice. Enjoyable as fuck. We've got some, got some commercials for you guys. Enjoyable AF. Yeah. Um, Manscaped. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Manscaped.com. Bow, bow, bow. Um, there's there's a lot of things that crypto is doing well, and that, my only thing is like, there's a lot of things crypto does well right now, and it's all money based stuff, right? Uh, it, it uh, this it's weird for me to try to think of a world where like, oh, I've got. I've got these tokens that represent uh, all of Ford's Gaylords and each token is a Gaylord that Ford owns. And um, uh, a Gaylord is a big a car that carries stuff. Oh, no. okay. That. Oh. Yeah. I didn't so, know that either. Well, we didn't know what Telios meant. It's a nice hotel. That's a, now that's a nice know. hotel in my opinion. That's all I've ever known. <laughs> a Gaylord is a nice hotel. It's, it's a, name a, of a nice hotel. So, you know, you, you put a pallet and you put a box on a pallet 
and you put stuff in it, you got yourself a Gaylord. I'm looking this up. Well, um, <laughs> you don't trust him. <laughs> no. Nah. Like Gaylord Hotel is the first thing that pops up, so we'll see how this goes. Say, so what is a Gaylord? Gaylord. The Norman, Norman French origin. Joyful or high-spirited? A Gaylord box is basically a bulk size corrugated box. Traditionally, Gaylord boxes are large or bulk size and allow for the shipment of products in a large single container or on a pallet. The name Gaylord box has evolved into a generic term for any pallet size box for bulk shipping of storage. Interesting. It's a pallet size box. All right. Well, whatever. Sure. Yeah. I had to to watch Gaylords for about 10 hours straight when I did a time study as a consultant one time. It was terrible. I hated it. It's like, I was like, I'm just, you just want me to sit here and watch these boxes? Yep, time them down to the millisecond. It's like, this sucks. But anyways, uh, you know, a token that represents a Gaylord that Ford owns, interacting with a token that is taking in someone's liquidity proof tokens and staking them. And like, it's just, it's like, exactly. Cause that's what DeFi is. Haven't you seen DeFi D <laughs> you want to make have, money and not uh, that, know that's, how that's the pitch you need to make. That's, that's the <laughs> advertisement we need is to get people to, to subscribe to DeFi D on, Insta, on what Snapchat. On TikTok. TikTok. Is it? It's on TikTok. Look at the sound. Really? What is it? Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, whatever, whatever these young rivers are using. Yeah. I'm on well, not me, but DeFi D is on TikTok and he gives advice he gives DeFi advice and wait, uh, are you actually like it's not you? It's him. It's not me. Okay. It's All an right. emoji. It's like an emoji thing. I got you. I what got are you talking you. about? Is it the thing that Joe posted? Look at, Look at it. Is that racist? It's definitely not me. It's DeFi D. <laughs> what? Oh my god. Is TikTok on the internet or is it just an app? Can I bring up DeFi D? Sure. You should. Let me see. TikTok. No, use your internet, see what happens. TikTok. I don't, I don't know. TikTok works literally. So I. Oh yeah, TikTok.com. Who'd have thought? You know, it's a thing. Anyways, we're not going down that path. TikTok. No, DeFi D. DeFi D. I got my wife to subscribe to it and a couple of people at status. So there you go. How do you spell that? D. DeFi underscore D underscore. Okay. Yeah, DeFi D was already taken. Surprise, surprise. But. Okay. Uh, Tail said it's on the web. It is on the web. Um, Jordan from my crypto says Slack sucks for communities. Oh sorry, yeah. Sorry. So we've we've asked Slack community whether or not we should move to Discord. Some people say yes. Yeah. So another yeah. thing that's not on the streets is Doge has an Axe body spray now. Mm. You got that picture for that? I do. Should I bring up bring my screen? Up, yeah, bring up Here. a picture for the Doge Axe body spray, which like it's so apropos. Like this is this is this is the this is the audience you're looking for. Just like either like eight year olds or douchebags, one of the two. That's a Doge Axe body spray. That's what's happening. Man, you got like a lot of icons going on over there, dude. Yeah, bro. I live a life. What do you mean? You got, look, you've got too look, many things open, bro. I got all these Google Chrome, Google Chrome accounts that I have to monitor. Mm. Then I got audacity for the old school. Got a calculator for my numbers. Got snippet on there. Got Spotify running. Got Sliggity Slack. Got Microsoft project for my projects. 
And then I got uh, OBS for the time when uh, Jesse and I were doing what the header, trying to learn how to program. That was a nightmare. I stopped caring. Stop. Got Python going on there. <laughs> Stop caring. Oh, you don't care anymore? No. I was telling you about all the things I got going on here. And I don't know what the fuck this is. This that is would not start clicking on things you have. Yeah, that's right. D tabs are dangerous. Don't be I'm looking right now at a live show. To look at, I'm looking at seeing if there's anything compromising I'm putting <laughs> up in there. Not even compromising, just like, yeah, not suitable for work. Dude, I don't just keep porn streaming mm. uh, to my computer at all times. <laughs> not this one. Brought to you by Manscaped. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah. So, um, I don't know. So crypto gets weird when they're in these like uh, troughs. Like uh, the news is 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 few and far between because most people are working, and then the only news you see is stuff like an ETF might get passed or not, or this country said that crypto's bad but not that bad, you know. And so it's you know not a lot happening in crypto. Um, but development wise, you know, Bitcoin's getting its upgrade soon. Ethereum two point looks like it's going pretty smooth. Uh, this is going to be smooth. monumental. Smooth whenever it goes. Uh, a lot of a lot of lofty goals from old Ethereum 2.0, saying it's gonna easily, easily be able to transact tens of thousands of transactions per second. And that's coming from Vitalik words. That's from Vitalik's mouth. Let's see how it to goes. Everybody, it's, so, it's, it's a crypto space. Who knows what happens, man? So once again, a lot gonna, of people trying to make it happen. Though let's put it that way. We're gonna riggedy wrap. Once again, today's show is brought to you by Manscaped.com. And specifically, their new product, the Lawnmower 4.0. Uh, this puppy also has a travel lock, right? So it prevents you from accidentally turning on this trimmer. And then everybody's saying, like, does that person, does that person have a dildo, have a, uh, dildo, dildo in their bag? And they're like, no, it's not a dildo. It's shaped like one, but it's not one. You know, you don't want to go. Yeah. You know, you'd like to have a battery when you get to the hotel and you want to shave and get ready for your meeting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's be real. You're using it on both your face and and, and your underparts. <laughs> no, no. What? No. You use your, you use your, <laughs> your face, Corey? 100%. Both. Oh, my God. We've got to move on. We've got, I have, no one, very, I can I have never very clean do. parts. I have very clean parts. No use one it has. after you shower. <laughs> I can't believe I'm hearing this. Jesse, are you, you believing this? 20% off doing? promo are you not, code. TBS. Are you not cleaning yourself? <laughs> are you putting your are you, balls on you, your face? Are you cleaning yourself? I, I would never. This is between you guys. I would never you, in my do life. You, do you scrub? Do you scrub when you take showers? Bro, of course, but I'm not, I'm not going to use my ball trimmer on my face ever. <laughs> never. Ever. So ever. Your balls are still dirty. Maybe, no, it's not the dirty. It's just, those are two different parts of so, the body. It sounds a lot like your balls are still dirty. That you never want to touch. I don't understand. What are you touching? Would you touch something <laughs> dirty? I, I see where your logic is coming from, but it's not passing the... <laughs> you know, it's not it sounds like you might want to spend some more time cleaning yourself. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> I feel like we should pull the slack on that one, right? 
I honestly oh, do. I'm losing uh, this battle on, on a poll for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So buy two. Oh, hey, let me there ask you go. this then. Because it's going to be good for your face. Just get too. out of the shower. Just, just get out of the shower. Yeah. Fresh booty and everything. Do you take the towel, the part of the towel that you use to dry your butt and then dry your face with that? Doesn't matter. It's all clean. It's all equally clean. This show's brought to you by Manscaped. Let's 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 put on some stuff. Do you know how soap works? I think I think I think uh, when you're clean, you're clean. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, sorry, Chupac. Everywhere he's is someone was just recorded. Chupac. Sorry, Chupac. Uh, I love your name. That we're gonna put it together. (laughs) Amazing name. Uh, If if you don't know, where's Eric Voorhees? Eric Voorhees is on the episode just before this because we did a long interview. So after you just listen to us, yeah, we put them together. For those of you new to the show, we record a roundtable and an interview, and we splice them together and put that into one show. So it's a thing. It's a thing that we do. No, the promo code is not TMI. Don't do that. The promo code is TBPN smooth. Hold on. I got to tell them. I got it. You doing it? Got it. Is it yeah, all uppercase? Them. Yeah, all uppercase. There you go. TBN smooth. <laughs> That's the code. TBPN smooth, baby. All right. So if you're not a patron and you want to be what you will get access to, is the show a little bit earlier than everyone else. And you also get access to the meta. <laughs> I know, man, but we really want that code to work. And then we also get access to, uh, you'll get access to uh, the meta episodes. We've done one meta episode. Should our lives align? Uh, we do, we plan to do more. Uh, you know, uh, it is increasingly tough to do more shows a week now. Damn, Corey, we didn't know how good we had it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus, but seven episodes a week. Yeah, no, yeah. Like, that. you want to do an episode now and tomorrow and the day after? Yeah, man. <laughs> but as as life does what it do, we find it harder to get together to record episodes. But you will also get access to the metaverse of the big the Bitcoin podcast, which is the meta episodes where we listen to old episodes and comment and look and see if what we said is still valid, if it's invalid, if that person is still around. It's just a really cool episode. Um, let's see what else do we do slack you can go to the bitcoinpodcast.com and join our slack in that slack you'll meet very cool people there's joe jobs network is on fire so jobs channel on the slack is on fire if you're looking for a job Mm -hmm. join there you might find one Mm -hmm. does your job suck right like if it does then you need to join our slack and join the hashtag jobs channel Start talking, start learning, and you just might find your way into crypto and and land a new career that is probably exciting, frustrating, challenging, all the things a good career should be. Um, What else do we do? Ah, yes, the dreaded Apple podcast review. (laughs) Up until recently, we would say, if you don't give us five stars, you can go fuck yourself. But I kind of think as I age, I get more grays in my schmoty and in my hair, and my my hairline sprints back further than LeBron. I feel like maybe you should just give us the amount of stars we deserve. 
If you think it's one star because Jesse eats flaming hot Cheetos in your ear for an hour straight, then by all means, <laughs> give us the one star. I've had more comments on that one episode than every other episode I think we've ever had. People were upset. They were, mm-hmm. they were like, just comments in general, not negative comments, just all comments. Like Cheetos, huh? For an hour straight, you just gonna eat Cheetos and people. But but we did get people join the Slack because they were interested in Cheetos. That's very true. Someone joined yesterday and says, "I'm all about them Cheetos." So here we are. So speaking of which, if we do get a thousand subscribers on YouTube, we are going to give 100 bags of flaming hot Cheetos to one of those subscribers. Just one person, like one person. Lucky, you get a lot of Cheetos, or Mm -hmm. unlucky, depending on how you feel about it. We already know how to do it. We buy direct from Cheeto factories and they ship it in a Gaylord straight to your house. And you're going to get 100 bags of Flaming Hot Cheetos, baby. Uh, yeah, give us stars. Let's go. Who is I gotta it? Go. Tiana Taylor, yeah. you're doing your thing. Issa Rae, I love you. Uh, I'm watching, I'm watching like a shitty captcha right now. Whoopi Goldberg, sister. <laughs> Mm, I don't oh, know her. that's the lady from Loki. It is. It is. Yeah. She's great. She's great at what Good she show. does, but I don't know who you are. We're going to keep it moving. Uh, nope. The lady, don't know the who you from, are. The girl from the space thing. Oof, these are getting tough now. I don't know any of these these people. These must be younger people. Ah, now that's Lisa Perez. Shout out to you. Right, Carrie. Wow, that's Lisa Perez. Just checking. <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> that, that's Otzi Beats. Mariah Carey. It's Mariah Carey. A good old <laughs> long neck and wide smile. <laughs> Zoe Saldana. Goo Goo. Goo Goo's on Loki. All right. Goo Goo. That's her name. It's a real very name? good name. It's not a real yeah. name, is it? Yeah, Goo Goo. Oh, what a name. Maybe it's, maybe it's Gaga. Could be. Phonetics. Good night. Gotta go. Play the goo goo.